This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico. As usual, I'm joined by Sam. And today we are starting um, a new season. In this season, we are reading and discussing mainly business books. So perhaps, Sam, you can tell us which books we're selecting and why we're reading these specific books. So my company, Syncify, has just been funded by Techstars and they're giving me a reading list of 10 books to um, read whilst we're on the uh, accelerator to business knowledge info stuff like investing scaling your business how to start a business marketing all these kind of things so as i kind of have a lot of reading to do anyway it makes sense to read the same things as nico and save myself time because i'm kind of rather rather busy and nico has gladly (laughs) accepted absolutely there's so many business books and i think a well-known accelerator like Techstars probably has a very good idea of which mm. are valuable and and so i think it's it's also very interesting for us just to read them and think okay why would this be valuable for an accelerator yeah, program right uh, why is it relevant for tech startups mm. um these days because this book is, is well actually we haven't talked about it yet so sam and i just finished reading the book shoe dog written by phil knight and so it tells a story about the founding of nike from the earliest days up until its ipo and not too much after that. So it goes uh, quite deep into the personal life of Phil Knight, its founder, and all the, the struggles that they had in the first decades of, mm. of the company. And so the most of the whatever happens, happened before like 1980. So how did you uh, enjoy reading or listening to the book? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was a good story, made a bit of a difference compared to like the philosophy ones, which were a bit harder to digest. As My such. God. Oh, this was a breath yeah. of fresh air. This was like a blast listening to. Yeah. Oh, it, it was amazing. I mean, it was like, it's super easy for a business book even because it's, it, it's just a story and mm. it's, it's really nice, mm-hmm. well-told story. Yes. Uh, he's not a bad writer, I think. Actually, uh, I, I thought the same. I, thought, I was like, what, this, guy's no, this guy knows how to, how to write? And I looked it up and he's actually used a ghostwriter who's mm. called J.R. Moringer, who also mm. wrote other people's uh, memoirs. So Interesting. <laughs> That might explain, but still, because quite a lot, often it's going like really a lot into detail about stuff that happened like 60 years ago, but uh, still it's, that's pretty cool. Mm. I do wonder how people like do these memoirs and memoirs if they haven't been keeping a diary the whole time. So I've been keeping a diary for like, the last few years, but it'd be kind of hard for me to sort of go really deep into the, especially when mm. they sort of recount conversations with people. Mm. You're like, did, did anyone say those specific words or was it just like a general, like. They just probably filled it in, you know? It's like when they do movie, they make movies about certain events, you know, they, of course, they have to fill mm. in some blanks and, and some Funny. conversation fit, but it, yeah, it, it all fits together quite well. And it's pretty consistent all the time, like the people, characters, and, and it's all, well, it flows pretty, pretty well. And so, yeah, I think we all know how it ended. Like Nike is a huge mm. business today. It's, it's personally for me, very known, uh, known for its very good marketing. Yeah. In my company, our, our marketing guy is like a huge fan of nike and we tried to think okay what would nike do in this in our, in our case you know so yeah that was some really nice insights as in i remember so initially more of a reseller for a japanese brand 
and then they kind of started partnering with a different um manufacturer and they kind of just made up the uh, it took them ages to get to the tick i think they were like going through different things but like the name he just sort of made up on the day and then like mm-hmm. a bunch of like the for the first set of like they're now like considered all the classics like all the names and stuff i can't remember any of the names but he's kind of made them up in like half an hour of like mm-hmm. <laughs> had a bit of a role like oh yeah we'll have this one and they have animal names and stuff and yeah and you're like oh cool it's like epic sort of thing that sort of seems like a part of like history almost there's it's just like half an hour of him just like writing some random stuff down on a whiteboard mm-hmm. yeah exactly so basically he started off by reselling japanese tigers they're called from a company based in kobe in japan and yeah after like only after six years did they start making a shoe that they called nike because first their company was called blue ribbon sports and then they yeah. changed the name afterwards and then the, the the nike name stuck but yeah i mean i would recommend like I wouldn't go too much into detail on the book. I think if you, if if this story interests you, go ahead and listen to it or read it. It is super easy to read. So like when you're commuting, when you're in your car, even when you're like doing a walk or or you're doing a run, it's it's very very accessible to listen to. So I would highly recommend to do it. But then I think we can go into the learnings, like what what stuck to us. Oh. If you think about the book now, what would you will you always remember? I think I remember. You kind of identify with his sort of his issue with his parents, kind of not really wanting him to do that and like sort of reluctantly being like oh okay we'll try this idea for a bit and then it kind of it not like taking off but not failing and him like going further with it and they're like okay maybe you could like get a job now <laughs> and and like it just carried on like that for sort of, like the first three or four years before mm-hmm. he finally was like had enough and like but he had these same conversations with the banks as well of them um, trying to borrow more and more money because he couldn't get like venture funding back in those days and like they just were like well companies don't really grow as such that quickly or anything so like <laughs> we, we don't want to give you any more money than you've already taken before and it's just sort of it's a strange time in that sense but like on the on the family side i definitely sort of identified with the whole like maybe you just get a job and stop like trying these sort of crazy ideas and mm-hmm. just sort of having the persistence to kind of back yourself on like some big vision that you probably haven't actually fully worked out what the vision is but you sort of know that there's something there mm-hmm. Yeah, I fully agree. I think it feels like if you listen to the book that the company was about to go bankrupt, like for the first 15 years of its existence. Yeah, yeah. It was like constantly struggling with cash flow. Like the bank bank accounts were as good as empty. Like they were living on on borrowed time, basically. And it was yeah, it's it's pretty mm. crazy. Like how much trouble they had in the, in that department, and especially I think it, it contrasts to the to today because. In that time, there was no such thing as real venture capital. There were no VC yeah, yeah. firms. There was no companies specifically investing in, in startups. And so the only money he could find was like from people he knew. And he didn't know any like super rich people, like any angel investors that could help him out with like a mm. million dollars or something. So basically he had to go to his bank and these banks were not happy to loan him money. So very large part of the book is him describing struggles with his banker um, who was yeah. complaining that he didn't <laughs> didn't have an, enough equity to 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 get that big a loan basically. Mm. And it's it's interesting because of I mean you think about it now and it seems sort of like obvious like the Nike brand is so huge but like it was sort of it had like a crap name and it was just some guys like reselling Japanese trainers out of mm-hmm. the back of their boots. Mm-hmm. And you're like he didn't really have I mean he obviously had a, some kind of vision that it could be big, but he hadn't like thought of it in the way that it became big at all. And yeah, except yeah, it was six years in before they they started like, oh, maybe we could start our own brand. And they had like a few different names, and they had some other names that they thought were more correct. And like, 
I think they got one person in to give some ideas. She's just like, oh, maybe Nike. And then like no one quite disliked it enough with mm. the other names. And so they kind of just went with that because they couldn't mm. think of anything else. Mm. <laughs> and then you're like, <laughs> but he relentlessly backed himself so much when it, it wasn't even the idea that we kind of all identify with. Mm. Now it seems obvious. Like we talk about people sort of being lucky almost. And it's kind of like, <laughs> he just sort of gave himself the the possibility to be lucky <laughs> by keeping on like doing it or mm -hmm. he didn't actually sort of plan to do what happened if you know what I mean yeah I feel like there is quite a big contrast with someone like for example Elon Musk like Elon mm. Musk he starts with a vision and he's like okay I'm building something it's going toward that vision yeah, and yeah. the way Phil Knight portrayed himself like his own uh, vision and path in this book is like uh, completely the other way around it's like okay we bootstrap something it works and like people just really like it and it just keeps growing. I don't know what's happening, but I need more stuff, you know, give me more supply, yeah, I need yeah. more shoes, man. And then <laughs> I need to find extra factories and oh, the, some guy suddenly came to me with a new type of shoe. Let's try it out. You know, people like it. Okay, let's keep selling it. And you know, it's, it's quite interesting the way he approached it. Yeah. Then I've read some books about like how people write books as such. And like there's two styles, like most people tend to plan it out and sort of work out what the point of the book is and then kind mm. of, go for like a chapter sort of headings and then kind of fill in like the details and sort of slowly like put it together and the other one is just like just start writing and like just write anything and so mm. Stephen King's like it's, like it's called like seat of the pants or something and you, you don't even know where the story's going or where it's going to end and you just kind of like sit there with these characters and you just sort of like make it up as you go along mm. and he definitely was like the latter it felt mm. like <laughs> yeah it feels like for the first 15 years, it was just problem solving. Because one of the takeaways I always so had from uh, the book, me and, and I think you, you as well, you're, we are more most involved in the tech scene. And in the tech scene, like if there's demand, you'll be successful. There's like never a supply mm. issue. Because if you have a tech company, in theory, a tech product is um, infinitely scalable almost. If you produce something digital code, you know, you can copy paste it uh, a million times mm. and it's not going to lose anything. Yeah, you just have like, failure like things break or outage issues and stuff but you yes. don't really have like a yeah supply as such i mean certainly scaling things isn't completely easy but no no like, i mean i guess the equivalent might be like supply developers which is your constant nightmare mm. <laughs> trying to grow a tech business you're like fuck yeah. where do i get more developers oh. yes but in, in this case so phil knight in the first years the biggest issue that he had, like 80% of his issues were on the supply side and not so much on the demand side. So there was always mm. people asking for the shoes and he just couldn't find a way to get the, the supply. He had always, a lot of issues with his initial Japanese providers, which is one of the reasons why he switched. And so it yeah, I found quite perplexing because I always thought if the demand is there, you'll be successful. But this book made me realize that uh, supply is also a big part of it. And <laughs> it also made me uh, respect companies that produce something more, you know? that also mm. have a supply chain to manage because it's more than only marketing. You know, you also have to get the goods there and make sure they're like, yeah, have both sides. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's an interesting one because you always sort of see the problems that you have in your own sector and like trying to find developers or sort of trying to work out what the product is that people want. Mm -hmm. You don't, and you're like, oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> just building a business isn't tech. It's just like being a secretary or something. And you don't really do much. It's just sort of like... <laughs> Yeah, putting X together, but it is. And yeah. it, in the tech world, if you know what people want, that's that's all yeah. you need to know, right? If you know what they want, then mm. you just make it, and and it's going to be all right. It's uh, the the trouble, like in this case, it's a whole different world. It's uh, that's quite interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, and there, I think so. Over the past years, and also in this Corona crisis, there's a lot of people who are like 
hating on the billionaires of this world because they made so much money and it's always they're always comparing like the minimum wage workers and they're they comparing their salaries to that of the owners of the company you know jeff bezos like earns mm. like a million times as much as, as the people working in his warehouses etc but if i think if you read this book you realize that these entrepreneurs like it's not easy money in a way you know it's like the, the yeah. troubles they had to get through the the things they put at risk like if phil knight at like at so many points in his in his in his company's life lifetime like they were one one thing going wrong away from being completely bankrupt Right? Yeah. If, if they weren't lucky, 100%. it would have gone bankrupt for like 10 times in, in the company's life. Yeah. I mean, we say it's an easy book to read. It's slightly stressful in the same way that like <laughs> reading a scary book or something might scare you. This book is, you're constantly a bit like, oh, <laughs> what's going to go wrong yeah, now? Yeah, exactly. But but then in the end, you know, like if you look at the shoes you're wearing, you're like, oh, okay, they survived yeah, in some yeah. way, you know? So you know you know that it's, it's, there's a good ending. But I mean, it's the book is full of, of problems and struggles uh, that you have to overcome. And so people don't seem to realize that like what struggles these entrepreneurs have gone through to get where they are now. Like they seem, they see these, these, these guys who are now just basically chilling and just earning uh, money of the dividends of the companies that they don't even run, for example. And they find that unfair, but this guy, like he put his life at risk. Like he had two kids and, and if the company would have gone bankrupt, he was, no, was not nowhere, you know, he, okay. He had accounting skill, but like for, as far as career advancement goes, he didn't have much experience there. Yeah. I mean, they do say that like, it's not that the people usually do it for the money. It's more because they want to change things. But mm. if like every CEO that like got that point then had their company taken off them and didn't get anything for it, you would kind of think that people probably wouldn't bother innovating as such. Mm. Yeah. Because you sort of want the control to like, yeah. I did get the feeling from the book, but again, I mean, this is obviously it's written by Phil Knight. So he's going to put himself in a good light. Although he, mm. he, he does criticize himself, but, not too harshly, but he he makes it seem like everything was done, you know, for the shoes basically and for the running and for the company and for building a brand and not for the money, which is nice. I mean, it seems nice. I don't know if it's 100% true, but uh, at least that's how it comes across. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at Steve Jobs or Jeff Bezos, they kind of, they did always put like the customer at the front of like, mm. the decisions that they made. It was like, okay, we have to give like the best value to the customer. Mm. Apple, like they make lots of decisions based around like, they're taking things out it's like well we want to make like the simplest thing that like customers can love and enjoy without like all the extra faff and shit and yeah and in the end i think what a lot of people uh, miss is that i think that's the magic of capitalism it's that if you produce something of value to society you will be rewarded and so all the incentives are aligned mm. like if, if if nike had never existed our world would look different and we probably look worse you know there would have been way less innovation in shoes someone else might have filled the gap obviously but i mean if, for example what's happening today with the, the vapor fly i think it's called like these new shoes of nike which were used to break the two hour mark on the marathon and stuff it's insane cool. the innovation in, the, in that space and i think that would never have happened if, if nike didn't exist and so all of these people these billionaires uh, the, these billionaire entrepreneurs they just add like massive value to society and the, and they they capture part of that value but still people are happy to pay for the products that they produce so i don't really see why it's unfair that they earn so many rewards from that one one of the things i liked from the book was the fact that phil knight seemed quite human 
and he wasn't portrayed like a demigod who always knew exactly what to do and made all the right decision. It was like this yeah. genius who was like, oh no, we're going to do it this way. That like, you know, Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs was like, okay, I want exactly this. And it was correct. You know, in, in the case of Phil Knight, it didn't really seem that way. He felt like more human. And I think for me, the book made, you know, this American dream of building a company and becoming hugely successful. It made it feel quite attainable because he didn't, Mm. like nothing he did is something that i would say of i would never have been able to do that because i don't have that specific yeah skills. yeah as in then he kind of like he didn't sort of say oh well like when i saw the nike swish logo i was immediately like yeah, <laughs> that, yeah or exactly. like the name he's kind of like well, <laughs> we kind of randomly made some things and it, those were the ones that ended up with it and then like after the tick there was trying to work out why it was good like well i guess they started like backwardsly working out why it was such a great branding move and sort of being like oh you kind of see the tick as basically like get left behind in the squish kind of things as mm. runners past you and stuff and the kind of things and like and when he made up the names for the first set of shoes he sort of was like yeah i think that this would be good but it almost like it wasn't even him like it sort of just had like a moment where it's actually slightly smart for once and then made up these names and it seemed like a good idea and then people liked it but mm. it's not like he was sort of driven by this for ages and that was like his purpose or something and i quite liked all of this stuff around like his employees and how he worked with his business partner it's kind of interesting and because he kind of gave 50 percent to this guy that didn't seem to do all that much initially but then did have the odd moments of inspiration and clearly was like quite critical in the business and like invented some some of like the innovations behind the shoe and, and really got it into the running sort of scene because he was like a head coach and like worked with lots of olympic, olympic athletes and this stuff but the guy did seem to spend most of his time like completely unconcerned with the business and yeah. just sort of coaching people and occasionally once every few years he sort of like come up with some ideas <laughs> so that was yeah. kind of like an odd one and but it didn't really seem as if phil knight complained about that I felt yeah like. yeah so i think it's yeah it was all fair because i think the 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 name of because you're talking about bowerman and so he was very known as an as an, a coach for runners in, in the US and so he was the co-founder of Nike but didn't indeed like in the book you don't really doesn't seem like mm. he had a lot of influence on the business part he was more like he was like a real shoe dog who was like you know like putting shoes together and, and, and tearing them apart just to understand the yeah, best yeah, way to the best shape to, to uh, fit a runner's foot and all that stuff so he was probably the real innovator mm. yeah, it was interesting mm -hmm. I guess it'd be sort of like if you had a business idea, but you're working with like someone that runs like the, I don't know, a scientist that sort of your university lecturer or something, and you're kind of starting a business with them and they kind of don't really come on board, but they sort of have the uh, insights and marketing. I don't know. It was, it was interesting. Mm -hmm. And also like, he, he didn't, he didn't know him that well. Cause I remember they had like a board meeting or something like with some investors and then like he got drunk and he was like, didn't even realize that he got drunk really easily and, and was generally embarrassing and this stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. and then his first employee that he then like did the complete opposite with like he didn't give him any of the company even though this guy was like critical and like mm. put, started their first base on the other side of the country and stuff mm -hmm. and, and then he was like asking for like some of the business and some more money and then he was like yeah well i guess no even though like you're probably the most important person in the business right now <laughs> and you're like mm. it seemed yeah. a bit odd <laughs> I, I don't want to lose control basically that was that was yeah uh, yeah that felt yeah quite i don't know selfish in a way but then he obviously worked out for him and and like i found it very crazy how passionate his uh team was 
without being incentivized at all. Mm. That was that was something that stuck to me. Like the first 10 employees were all like like they were basically living and breathing Nike without having any like options, something that you would definitely consider giving to your employees, especially if you get like start giving or, or yeah. getting more than one million in revenue and, and the company was getting it doesn't traffic. seem like they had a mission that's gonna change the world as such. And to us now. Yeah. It's sort of because like I mean at the time they didn't even they weren't called Nike or anything fantastic but i guess they must have had like it must have for the time been really cool as in to be associated with like sort of the ultra runners well like the runners of the scene and being able to get hold of good shoes compared to like what was kind of crap and otherwise available or something i don't know it must, must have been like a really exciting brand even though it doesn't sound that exciting to us mm -hmm. it's called blue ribbon mm -hmm. i don't know i guess Maybe a bit like sort of the skate scene or something. Perhaps it was just sort of like, you know, something cool to be around. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. That's a book actually would be quite interesting. Like um, Tony Hawk's got a pretty fascinating life. Mm. He was sort of around like at the start as like a 14 year old. And then sort of now he's sort of late 40s, but he's still like on the scene. And mm. <laughs> you know, he has like a massive influence on like making it a big thing. But yeah, I mean, he kind of, he did feel like the first explosion of it and then like death and then sort of re-kicked off the whole popularity in it. Uh, anyway, completely unrelated, but similar in like a sort of brandy feeling of, I think like running wasn't, was sort of an exciting place, but not like a huge. No, it wasn't definitely, it was definitely not as popular as it is now. And yeah. I feel like sport in, sports in general, like if I ask my grandparents, for example, they yeah. didn't do any sports at all. Yeah, yeah, the whole like whole con concepts of gym, gyms and that kind of stuff yeah. was, is like so new. Yeah. I mean, if you look at like videos of the 60s and 70s of like people playing rugby or that kind of stuff, and they were just like skinny people like <laughs> running around fields. <laughs> and you're like, if you put any of like the famous old rugby players in a match now, they would get destroyed instantly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have no chance. And if you put a, like a rugby player of today, like in a team back in the yeah, 60s, they would yeah. run over everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a bull in a giant. Like, um, yeah. Uh, one, one thing I also took away was, and he's quite honest on that, is that he didn't have a lot of time because he had he spent so much time on nike he didn't have a lot of time to spend with with his sons and so there mm. it was hard for him to find a balance and i think that is if you're doing something as big as, as building a company i think it's going to be very hard to uh, combine that successfully with having a family because yeah, you need definitely. to be able to dedicate so much time to 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 doing this because if if you don't spend the let's say uh, twelve hours a day, someone else will, and and because they spend more time, they'll they'll be the one being su successful, you know. And it, today it's even more true. So I find it interesting, and it's something to yeah. Everyone's always like, oh, I envy these billionaires. Oh, they're super rich, super successful, and they they found their passion and they just chased it. But in the end, quite a lot of of billionaires and these people are are like separated or divorced or have mm. had different marriages and yeah, definitely or miss out on like things that you can never really get back and yeah. such interviewed graham hobson a month ago he's like the founder of photobox who mm -hmm. then bought like out moon pig but he yeah he had a pretty similar sort of story i guess of like kind of making it up he was going along for like 15 years and somehow like didn't really feel like he was the person to even be a ceo and then like never had like one year where they did anything crazy and it like, exploded they just sort of never failed each year managed to grow and then like sort of some point might like acquire a different company when they're trying to spread out across Europe and eventually became like this huge group, but he missed out on like 
all of his kids really and sort of retired and taking it easy now for the last three years mm. uh, but his kids are like going to uni and he's mm. like well yeah i mean it would have been nice to like maybe spend a bit more time with the, with the kids and <laughs> feels like he's trying to make up for it now but it's not the same huh? yeah yeah opportunity costs mm. it's, uh, it's not easy when you're young it's like a thing that you're really passionate about and like it's kind of cool but if you are really passionate about doing other things that i mean it's the same with any like anything there as well as in so many people work in a job until they're like 60 expecting to retire and have like live all their dreams and you're like i mean most of my dreams involve doing things where like i'm kind of younger like <laughs> i couldn't have climbed the matterhorn when i was 60 i don't mm. think and there's all these things that you sort of need to like fit into your life whilst you can do them mm. and also you might die or like i did have a friend that yeah his mum or something died like literally like half a year before she retired and dad obviously had plans to do lots of nice things mm. with his mom and, 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 and i can't and obviously yeah. they're doing other stuff but like it's yeah I, w- I wouldn't wait too much but when you're running a company you don't have such a choice and i, I got asked last night by the the guy that runs Techstars like what, what, what my next big adventure was and i'm like yeah well i am going to the arctic but like i had quite a few other things that i was maybe going to book but i haven't because i guess this is my adventure now and <laughs> probably don't want to die things going on and just yeah just don't know when i'm gonna have time because like the matterhorn was it was like a lot of faff training for it and having the time out and stuff it's kind of trying to be able to do it in a good way i mean richard branson's done a really good job of having like work-life balance and like doing adventure and scaling to run like multiple companies and basically he just has like a phone call with each one each week and that's mm-hmm. about it and mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of interesting whereas most people don't do that <laughs> they do how their lives taken off them yeah but it does speak for the you know the nine to five attitude where you yeah you just do your thing like and when you get home you're not stressed out because yeah I mean, definitely he, he talks about himself you know getting home every night like calling someone like calling his dad you know just complaining the whole time and i noticed that myself like i've i've been in the company that was like struggling financially for a while we we had troubles raising capital and it it, it eats at you even if you don't realize it you know you're constantly mm. uh, thinking about it you're lying in bed awake you're stressed yeah yeah and so it doesn't help your relationships either because you're stressed and, and so you don't react in the best ways. I, I, I used to have like some kind of content for people who were just satisfied with their nine to five job, but I, I Yeah, but now now I kind of have a bit of respect. <laughs> I definitely am like, Oh, you can just be happy? What? <laughs> What's this? Just satisfied in this? Perfect. Yeah. 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 I used to be like, What's wrong with these idiots? Like and then I'm like mm. I feel like I'm the idiot a lot of the time. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Yeah. Yeah. All right. You want to yeah, do like a, a recap and a reading? Mm, yeah. Good book. Read to enjoy and learn. Lots of insights on sort of Nike and how that kind of world got built and just sort of the differences in business compared to now. I think it's, it's sort of, it's kind of like a bit of a history book as well as autobiography and businessy, economic, lots of stuff to take home. And it's really digestible. So I would say, I'm confused on my rating system again. I think a seven mm. and a half. I mean, I would recommend it to anyone that was interested, for sure. Yeah, I agree. So for me, I think I, the book didn't really make me that much wiser than yesterday. But I do not regret reading the book at all mm. because it was very entertaining like it's like just a nice story yeah and and really motivating 
because like a lot of the business books you read for something that sort of motivate you because they make you feel mm, like you can do true. something and then like there are specific tools that they give you but then you forget them all anyway yeah. and there's this one doesn't try to study a specific tool but it is kind of motivating of like oh you can kind of mm. persist and like fight through all these terrible mm. moments and like that might be like a more important lesson than half of the other business books that you read sure. anyway yeah, that's and true. so in that sense it's really good and motivating so it's really useful Man, you make it you make it harder for me to say that I'm I was gonna give it a six, but I'm still gonna give it a six. It's really, really yeah. easy to le- read, really digestible, which is a very big plus. But in, in general, I think I learned way more from from like philosophy books. That's mm. just how I yeah. try to compare this. I think it depends as in maybe if you read lots of philosophy books, you'll start getting the philosophical aspects of this book. Mm. <laughs> Whereas if you just read this book, you might not perceive this wisdom that was there for you. <laughs> Deep, deep man. All right. Yeah. Good. Very good. So that rounds up the episode. I would highly recommend just read the book. It's really nice. Don't expect to learn any like groundbreaking things, but you'll definitely enjoy your time listening or reading it. All right. Then I guess we see you next week. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast. As you know, we are doing this to try and help you get smarter. Well, I have another project for podcast listeners just like you who want to be smart. Nico and I learned so much from reading the same things together and discussing them, and I wanted there to be a tool that made it easy for anyone to listen to the same podcasts and books together with their friends. So I'm building the app Syncify, which does just that. It connects you with your friends in the app, listen to the same things at the same time, or create shared playlists and work through them at your own pace. You can share comments and highlights of your favorite bits and become smarter by seeing what your friends think around the same content that you enjoy. As a bonus, it also helps with your mental health and reduces isolation. Personally, I hate publishing my life on social media, which I find all rather antisocial. And I don't go out of my way to phone a friend for no reason other than the fact I feel lonely. But I do love doing things with other people and having my friends listen to the same things is, is really awesome. I mean, I used to speak to Nico like once a year before we started this book club together, and now we talk all the time because we're just doing something together. So do yourself a favor and sign up for the Syncify app at syncifyapp.com, and I really hope it helps. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show or learned anything new, be sure to share it with your friends. And... I just can't tell you how great it is if you were to happen to leave a review on iTunes. These really do help quite a lot. If you have any questions or books that you'd like us to read, feel free to reach out to us through the website, wiserpod.com, or reach out to us on LinkedIn. And just keep loving and keep learning, and ideally, keep listening. Big love from Sam and Nico. And the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Podcast.